0: Listening to another episode of Grace Matters Conversations Establishing Believers in the Truth. This month's Grace Matters panel is on the subject of domestic abuse, in particular, how to respond to it as believers. We have expertise in our local church, and so we wanted to take advantage of these voices. You'll hear them introduced in just a few moments. And so we'll also follow up with them in some supplemental podcasts if we're able. If you have any questions that you would like to ask our panelists, send an email to gracematters@graceccnc.org. I do want to give a disclaimer that some of the subject matter is sensitive. So if you have children listening with you, uh, be mindful of what we're about to talk about. This is the Grace Matters panel on domestic
1: abuse. Uh, so, what are we talking about tonight? Uh, unfortunately, in a sin-drenched world, we are talking about violations of the marriage covenant, as uh, was spoken well in the sermon this morning. For, even from the Psalms, Old Testament and New both attest to the fact that marriage, as we experience it, should be a picture, and is a picture of Christ and the church. And Christ created this new covenant in which he sealed it with his blood. Ephesians 5 talks about this marriage, this picture. I'll read just a few verses from chapter 5. He who loves him, his wife loves himself. Skipping down a few verses, uh, again quoting from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The type of love expressed from Christ to his church is that type of love that we can find in 1 Corinthians 13, as well as throughout all of Scripture. It's respect and self-sacrifice, but it does not excuse or justify harm for the sake of the sinful desires of the other. When we look at the letters of Paul, his first letter to the Corinthians uh, chapter 7 discusses uh, marriage, separation, divorce, remarriage, uh, things that are not the primary focus of tonight's discussion, but does enter into uh, our discussion. And uh, let me just set a little bit of context. Uh, The Corinthians wrote to Paul asking questions, and one of those topics was about unbelieving spouses. And here we read, That if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved or that is bound to the marriage. God has called you to peace. There is much that can be said. We just mentioned a few moments ago, this discussion could take any number of of routes and spend endless hours and still not exhaust uh, what Christ has in store for his church how we ought to be, how we need to change, and the changes that he is instituting in each one of his children. Uh, However, we are talking about violations of the the vows of marriage, the the covenant that we enter into with our spouses in order to picture Christ in the church. What what does that violation look like? Well, in some instances, here are just a few statistics. Uh, The first one, has remained unchanged for several years, that one in four women suffer physical abuse. And in the state of North Carolina, 99% of the callers who uh, called into the hotline reported emotional or verbal abuse. And nearly half of those reported physical violence as well within the household. As you can imagine, the COVID restrictions of this last year has increased cases in which families are um, confined to the household, and yet those methods of, of escape and support, whether it be sh- uh, shelters or uh, other methods of counsel and support, have been restricted. So more people are experiencing violence and abuse in the home, and fewer are able to, to seek help. So there's a lot that we need to take to prayer, and uh, the Lord to show us, and uh, the Lord has been gracious, and we have a a terrific panel that I can't wait for you to hear from, because I'm learning every bit as much as you are. And before I introduce our panel, why don't we go to the Lord and ask His blessing. Our Father, we praise You that You are a good Father, that Mm -hmm. Christ our Savior is the quintessential and perfect groom to His bride, I pray, Lord, that our discussion would be honoring to you, that you would lead us in all truth, help us to be uh, edifying to one another, and that someone listening to this would be helped immensely by your hand, and it's for your glory, in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, let me introduce uh, a returning panel member. Uh, Jamie Criswell is with us again uh, from uh, Years of Experience Family Counseling. And uh, also to her right, uh, Stacey Thompson is joining us as a survivor and one who has walked with many others to survive uh, domestic abuse. And then Pastor Brad is um, lending a, a pastoral reflection so we can understand the theology as well as the pastoral, the personal relationship aspects. Um, and I have been blessed already in our discussion just a few days ago preparing for this, uh, how well the different aspects have fed together all from one uh, unified Christian spirit uh, to glorify God by helping our brothers and sisters in this this tough position. Stacy, if you don't mind, I'm gonna start with you and just kind of introduce why it is that you are uh, the perfect one to be on this panel and uh, tell us a little bit about your story.
2: Well, um, I am a 21-year survivor of domestic violence, and I was in a violent marriage for 10 years, and I have experience with many aspects of domestic violence, whether it be verbal, mental, psychological, um, sexual, um, legal, and even religious abuse – it doesn't matter what label you put on it, um, physical is certainly harmful in many ways, but there are many other ways that someone can be controlled by another uh, that is harmful that may not be physical. So we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, but whatever ever the label we use, abuse is engaging in any activity for the purpose of power and control over another person, and it's wrong no one, no one deserves abuse. You are not responsible and it's not your fault. Uh, Leaving an abuser can be one of the most dangerous times in a relationship uh, because that person must um, escalate the violence to maintain and reestablish control. Um, only you know when it's safe to leave and or if it's safer to stay and I know a lot of people don't survive in uh, North Carolina last year 134 people lost their lives to domestic violence and the year before it was 108 so during the year of COVID we had a 24 percent increase in homicides due to domestic violence Um, you know when the time is right But I was fortunate and I did get out. But when you can safely do so, I encourage you to reach out. There are many um, ways that you can get help. The National Domestic Violence Hotline, now you can text, call, chat. Um, It is safe to use with your browser. Um, In our area, we have Wake, uh, Interactive Wake, I'm sorry, and Safe of Harnett County locally. You have a church family at Grace that loves you and desires to know how we can help you. Um, And there's many survivors. We are everywhere, and we will walk alongside you and we'll offer you support. So as an introduction, I just want to tell you three things. You are not alone. Uh, You are strong. And while some who have no experience in domestic violence may see your staying as weakness, I see your strength. And uh, you are incredibly strong. And no matter what anyone on this earth says, you have value. God says so. You are made in his image. And even when someone who is supposed to love you tells you otherwise or treats you otherwise, you are still valuable. And God can bring beauty from your pain. And he can use your story of deliverance to help others like us. So I thank you for having someone like me on the panel it, it can be a difficult journey with lasting effects, um, but God is good and He can take that that is difficult and, and put it for His glory. Thank you. Well,
1: thank you. I, I do appreciate and admire the courage you have to uh, continue to speak and to uh, share your story in, in hopes of helping others. It's uh, a wonderful thing. And uh, Jamie, I'm guessing in your counseling work that you have seen, unfortunately, many stories like Stacy's. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about what you see in family counseling.
3: So, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. um, And prior to becoming a a family therapist, I, um, in my undergraduate degree, worked with domestic violence um, in a transitional housing program in Florida. Um, where mostly women and children would um, come out of the shelter situation and apply for this program and they would be there for a year to two years. And so during that experience, I worked a lot with the children, but also their mothers um, and, and helping them get education or um, educational goals attained and things like that. Um, and. As a case manager, really felt like I don't, I don't feel like I'm equipped. Like there's, there was always something missing. I felt like I needed to do more, and so that and um, just God's calling just led me back to my graduate program, and um, worked there uh, uh, at Fort Bragg, actually, as a pastoral counselor for a little while during my graduate program, um, and always had a desire to work with military families, and I couldn't tell you the statistics offhand, but there is a large amount of um, domestic violence within military as well, Um, and then since um, owning Foundations Family Therapy and doing a lot of couple work. Mm Um, have had the experience of working with many couples through a fair recovery, um, and we often see abuse being a part of that.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your contribution to tonight's discussion as well. I'm looking forward to um, growing from all that you all have to say. And so Pastor Brad doesn't necessarily need a, an introduction, but do you have any introductory words as far as um, where you sit as a pastor, what you've seen in this topic?
4: Yes, I, I think so. I think I'll was surprised early on. Um, Most of the marriages that I was closely connected with were that were believers were good, solid marriages with their struggles. I remember as a camp director in the mountains, we had a lot of pastors who were taking a little break or missionaries, and I don't know why missionaries, two or three different men, that were just the nicest, kindest, gentlest soul in the world, then they'd be talking about their daughter and their face would cloud over and they'd say, that son of a, and I, I'm like, I didn't know missionaries talk like that. But they were horrified at the way their daughters had been treated by people, and I thought, wow, something is, and then I feel like Jamie, when I, when I first came here, <laughs> I felt like something was missing. I was unequipped. I would counsel with a couple and his story sounded really, really good. But almost inevitably, she wasn't given the full story. I've had, we've had several couples, I shouldn't say several, a couple, a few couples that have come here. Churches have reached out and said, her problem. Our elders, after things arise, investigate, found the opposite. You know that it was not her problem, that this was an abuser. So um, I've always wondered why would the Lord allow divorce in the case of adultery but and an abandonment, but nothing else. And so I will follow up on what you brought us to in First Corinthians 7 where they had asked, what about if an unbelieving spouse abandons you? Paul says, yes, in such cases or in cases such as these. Antois, toys, is the Greek. And when you're doing a Greek study, when you're trying to study a phrase, what does he mean in this situation? You go to the author. Well, you go to the book. Is there anything in this book? Nope. And the author, nope. New Testament, nope. Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, nope. So you have to go to um, classical Greek, and there were several instances in which it was used, this phrase was used, and it always meant in a case like this, but not identical to this. And in our study in Proverbs this summer, I think we saw how often principles are laid out that are not, as black and white as you might want them to be in this case, it seems to me to be a blessing. How do you determine that? I'm just gonna say this now and then I'll, I'll jump back in. Really, we need to hear from these ladies more than we hear from me. But um, it, I think in a case like if, if, if a couple were having an issue and our elders were involved, one of the things I always say in the, in, in the newcomer's class is that uh, if you are stepping outside of your marriage, we're going to get in your business. Now, you think that's a good thing now. It's not going to feel like a good thing at the time. But you just need to know that if you are a member of the church, you're going to be held to a standard that you will be accountable. So, um, but in an abuse case, it's so much more difficult. And and I think I'd want to say also as I'm listening that these are not cases where a man loses his temper or a woman loses his temper i i think if you could be inside a home for a, for about a week or a month you'd know <laughs> this is clearly abuse it's not like we're just trying to say oh anybody that gets upset or even you know if somebody flings something that's a sign but it's not definite indicator of abuse. But where abuse occurs, and if a, if a woman, for instance, walks away, and I know this to be the case in many cases, women walk away from the church. I'm so grateful that Stacy is where she is. And a lot of women do stay with the Lord, but they can't stay at that church. And they don't, after a while, they, they just think it's no use going for help because I'm not gonna receive the help here. So in a case like ours though, I think the elders who are very careful and very fair have seen this over and over with our elders and really investigate and never back down from what they consider to be the truth, but they don't get there quickly. They, they make sure they know. So in a case like ours, if a woman said, I'm divorced because of abuse, we investigate. We say, as far as I can tell, this First Corinthians 7 passage not only allows you to divorce, but to remarry as well. So,
1: I'm sure that raises questions uh, in many minds that uh, we, we don't have time to get into tonight. It is a necessary topic of discussion, but not the focus tonight. Uh, and as a church, we do want to help those who are experiencing abuse and violence in the home. But I'm wondering, and this is for all of you, how can we identify, define what it is we're talking about? We, we said it's not a simple matter of losing our temper, but um, I, I don't know. Can you explain what it is we we are talking about?
3: Start if that's okay. Um, so I often, and I don't know if we have it up, but I often refer people to um, the Duluth model. It's out of Minnesota and it's, it's a power and control will. will. And um, often it's really eye opening if they're in a situation where they're not quite sure if what they're experiencing is abuse, and it just sort of presents a framework. Um, and abuse is, and, and Pastor Brad already has touched on this, but it's gaining control over another person, and mm-hmm. any any tactic or action is with that intent. Um, and. You know, it, it can look different. Every experience is going to look different, though. As we've discussed, can have some common themes. Um, there's often a a cycle to the abuse, though. Again, each person's experience is going to be different. Um, that cycle can look like a build up, the ex, uh, excuse me, explosion, or the incident, um, then the reconciliation. So this can be the I'm sorry. Sometimes. Um, really elaborately so with you know elaborate gifts or things like that again we're not talking about you know my husband brought me flowers because you know he wants to say he's sorry for something but in sort of an elaborate way and then um and then sort of the calm phase and this is some, they used to refer to it as the honeymoon phase which I think was a really bad name personally but um but it's sort of that calm phase where nothing was happening and and sometimes that phase especially in the beginning as it's longer can be um really harmful too because it it gives a chance to say, oh, well, it was just that one time or it was just that, that just a couple times. Oh, there's, so there's a lot of minimization that can happen. um, And then, you know, then the cycle will continue to play out. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention, because it comes up a lot we get calls a lot for anger management and oftentimes in the court, if domestic violence situations go to court um, or uh, I used to go out and talk to law enforcement agent eight um, officers in Florida as part of uh, my role at the, the agencies there. And oftentimes they would get calls for domestic violence calls, which are very dangerous for them and, and not something they love to do. But, mm-hmm. um, but oftentimes it's, it's almost synonymous with anger management and it is very different. So, Anger is often a tactic that is used to coerce or to um, intimidate, to gain power and control. Um, but like Pastor Brad mentioned, you know, if my husband has a bad day and accidentally, you know, yells at the dog, that doesn't mean that he's being abusive to mm-hmm. to me or our children. So I, I like to throw, just point that out because I think that sometimes that does get used simultaneously and it's it's very much different. Um and then the other thing that i like to point out is, you know, in Pastor Brad and, and uh, Stacey has already mentioned as well, that it's not just physical. So we often think of domestic violence as being physical and having physical um, symptoms or, or signs. And um, oftentimes, if it is physical, emotional is there as well. But other, other times it can be just emotional.
4: Can I ask... Um, what I understand is that oftentimes the, the emotional abuse, which is can be horrific, and that push pull, that anger, then it, also the person is the rescuer. But uh, when that emotional and verbal and horrific abuse that has been private becomes public, then physical abuse abuse is often. Uh, going to follow is that is that the pattern is that correct
2: I would like to speak to the anger management real quick because I think that's very, very important to understand. Domestic violence is not an anger management problem. Um, These people, whether they be men, women, whoever it is that's doing the abusing, they are in control of their actions and they choose to abuse. If the doorbell rings, they snap right out of it and they are the charming, Mm -hmm. charismatic person that everyone thinks they are except the people who live with them and know the truth. So it is absolutely not an anger management problem. Now, can they get angry when they get caught certainly and behave recklessly and sometimes that's how you know it sort of comes to light but domestic violence absolutely has nothing to do with anger management very calculating very cold um for sure i do agree that what you're saying if once the abuse um, comes to light, however that is, if a family member finds out or if someone does go to their church, which, you know, a lot of times we, we don't go to church. I went to a counselor uh, with my first husband and I was told that he could not help us until I went home. And that was the last time I went. So it's be- a beautiful thing to see a body of believers like Grace uh, want to help and understand and 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 just support. Uh us as victims, but yes, you are correct. Once they're, uh once it, somebody knows, uh, they got to up the ante quick because they've got to maintain power and control to get you to deny it. It was all me. I'm so sorry, and just sort of reestablish kind of where everything was. So yes, if if there is no physical violence, uh, either the act of leaving or threatening to leave or someone finding out will usually escalate the violence quickly and often will lead to someone being harmed greatly or even killed and you don't know sort of where how high they're going to jump if that makes any sense you don't know if they're just going to knock it out all in one and, and kill you or you know maybe just a little bit to see how much it takes to control you so uh, that's a really really good point that it, it can escalate very fast I would say.
1: I, I kind of want to explore those different aspects of abuse that you, you mentioned earlier. Uh, I, I think with physical abuse, it may be easier in some respects to identify it as uh, someone in a different mm-hmm. household looking on because there may be bruises or broken bones, unexplained injuries, that, those sorts of things. But how is it that we identify, even if there uh, m- there may be a physical um, response to verbal or emotional, you mentioned uh, even r- religious abuse. What are these different aspects and how can we, you know, what goes on and how can we identify it?
2: Well, I only have my personal experience to draw upon, so Jamie may be the best person really to speak to this, but uh, there are physical manifestations to uh, any type of trauma, and that's from my personal experience. Um, my Expertise on domestic violence is the worst way you want to get it. So, I don't have all the answers, and I'm not trained um, other than some training I did with Interact a number of years ago. Um, But um, I will say that um, there are lifelong scars. They're um, emotional and psychological, and um, I have some physical ones too. But I I felt like um, as a survivor, it was what I did with those that made the difference for me in particular. Now, that could be different for someone else. Someone else would say, well, I don't want to ever talk about it again, and I don't want to remember. But you do not forget. Um, There are many things that I can just look in the mirror and see, and I know. Um, So, you know, thinking you're ever going to forget is is kind of, um, for me, it was not logical. So... um, But I think I would ask Jamie to speak to the question that you had.
3: Yeah, and I think you know. Thank you again for sharing, Stacey. Your experience is really, really valuable. um, And and everyone's is going to look different. I think um, for the physical, like you mentioned, a lot of times there are signs. Though I will say, a lot of times. victims in the moment get really good at hiding them as well uh, similar to children with child abuse and so sometimes you may not know in fact officers used to tell me when they would go on calls that oftentimes they couldn't tell who was who because sometimes um the abuser would harm themselves right before the officer got there in order to make it look like so for the emotional piece though um things we typically would would counsel uh friends or family members on if they had suspicion and um and stacy i don't know if you could validate this or not but again every experience is different but um you know if um isolation is a very big one mm-hmm. um they try a lot of times the abuser will try to isolate uh, their spouse from other people they don't want them having conversations they don't want them going to groups they might not want them to go to church by themselves um the self-esteem, the belittling, the, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, no one's going to believe you, those types of things can be very damaging and, like Stacy mentioned, just the the traumatic aspect of that, and if you think about this, is supposed to be a person that loves you like Christ loves the church, and um, cherishes you, and values you, and when it, it feels even more hurtful when it's coming from them, and then also they can be the rescuer in the same sense, and so um, your sense of belonging and attachment that you're supposed to have with that person just really gets shattered and um, and the trauma gets locked in. It's very confusing, yes. And, and so often um, the spouse wants that love, they want that affection, they want that value, and so they may see glimmers of that and hang on to that and then excuse away the other behaviors. And so there's a lot of this push and pull, um, a lot of back and forth, a lot of, well, maybe I'm, maybe it is me, maybe I am going crazy, because at some point you may start to, to believe that. So that's, that has been some of my experience from what I've
2: now I would like to say about isolation. You can be in isolation in plain sight. Mm-hmm. So you can be in a family gathering, and um, my husband would stand to either sit right beside me and hold my hand, or he would stand right beside me and put his hand on my shoulder just to make sure I knew that he was there. I was told in advance what I could speak about, what I couldn't speak about, and then I was critiqued on my performance when I got home if I made him look bad. And um, I had a twin sister. Um, I had brothers who were twins. I Came from a very large loving family, not a soul knew in uh, 10 years. But I will tell you, when I went and I told my dad, he believed me. And I will say that that is probably the most validating Mm. thing you can do for someone. Because someone who um, is... uh, Wanting to control one individual is generally a very charismatic person in public. Um, now we have social media, so you know it would it would look right on social media. Um, but that person potentially could be a monster at home. Um, but you know we we are isolated. Um, back in the 90s, we didn't have cell phones much; they were just starting to come out. But we had caller ID, and so my caller ID was checked every day when I got home, and I had to. Um, you you know, explain what I had spoke about, and usually I just got to where I just didn't even answer the phone because I would be, you know, critiqued about that. So isolation is, you know, you may see that person and they could be isolated from you, um, which is a very bizarre kind of position to be in.
4: I'm thinking uh, one of the things that hinders uh, us moving forward with this is, in the past, it was it was. Um, denied this doesn't happen now it's trivialized you any anybody who says something about you that you don't like uh, they're gaslighting you know where where these tr- true abuses are taking place well everybody does that or i i don't i'm gonna, not going to listen to you because I hear so many people say that and it means nothing so again these are not instances that are Normal um, relationships that are having a struggle here or there, these are extreme. And would it be true, uh, Jamie, that oftentimes men who are abusers in these kind of situations? And Stacy made it clear the other day in our pre um, session count, uh, pre-session session that women are abusers as well, and surely we, we, we know that especially to their children. But is it not case the case that most abusers are have a personality disorder, or they're really close to narcissist or borderline personality? Which again, someone pointed out to me uh, recently how we trivialize the word narcissist. Oh, he's a narcissist. No, you don't know what a real narcissist is until you're up close and personal. But and so that complicates any efforts. for reconciliation within the marriage, if there's a personality disorder. David Dermott, who was on the uh, the, the, uh, panel with Jamie earlier, psychologist in Dunn, says that, that it's a rare thing that a person with this kind of personality disorder will be able to change, short of a crisis. Not a potential crisis, but a crisis.
3: Yeah, I will um, agree with that, and it's actually interesting. With DSM five, which is the um, Diagnostic Statistical Manual that therapists and psychologists use um, to to make diagnoses, especially for insurance purposes, they removed the access to, which is where the personality disorders went, and yet um, we still see the the diagnosis. And I learned from DSM four, so in my head, they're still very much there. But <laughs> um, but but yes, and. Oftentimes what you also see is and again, I don't have the statistics offhand, but there's a high high percentage of abusers that were abused mm-hmm. as children and the cycle uh, perpetuates generationally and and also, what we know about personality disorders is that there's a high prevalence of trauma associated with them. And they're locked in patterns of behavior that develop from a very early age, um, usually from some type of you know, tra- traumatic situation or attachment injury between the parents. And so again, it doesn't excuse it, but it makes it very, very difficult to break because it is so ingrained in their personality and who they are as a person and how they've gotten their needs met, which sounds odd to say, but it is. It's how they've gotten their emotional needs um, or sometimes physical needs met through a long period of time. So.
4: And you want to have compassion for the person who has been abused, but it's <laughs> when, is, when that person is abusing someone else, you, you have to deal with that before you can deal with the other.
1: Yeah, I don't know that we can uh, go down uh, too far on this theological road, but it reminds me of um, shedding new light or new perspective on uh, God visiting the sins of the Father on, onto multiple generations, or even how um, uh, being broken ourselves, we perpetuate or we actualize our own sinfulness in actions, not only being but acting sinful. Uh, it's just a, a, a nasty spiral that we, we continue in our, our sinful nature. Uh, something that, Stacy, you mentioned that not even your family knew un- until you um, spoke to them. You took the initiative. Uh, I'm wondering how can families, uh, friends, home groups, how can we be equipped to either help identify or be available for someone who, who needs someone to talk to?
2: It does take time for someone to be ready to let mm-hmm. you know. And uh, we've got a slide up. Um, and you're usually tested, and so this is just an example. And how you react to that can really either open that person up for the future if they're not ready to completely divulge, or can shut them down and say, this is not a safe person. And um, just also realize that the the person themselves um, – is desensitized to violence. Um, oh, it's not that bad. Um, you know, or I made him mad, or I realized that, you know, I should have, you know, not spoken in that tone of voice. And so we accept responsibility uh, for someone else's behavior, and we are told that it is our fault. It's not, but that's what we're told. And of course, as human beings, we make errors, uh, just as anyone would do. And uh, sometimes the harder we try not to make an error, the kind of the more nervous we get, and we make more errors, and so it kind of escalates but I would say, um, to answer your question, that if someone tells you any any of those things or just says, you know, I need a friend, I'm, I'm being abused... Just listen. Um, you may be shocked uh, and probably will be. Um, internalize that. Don't vocalize it. Oh no, not that person. He's so nice and what are you gonna do because he supports you and what, what about the kids? you know I mean I mean of course all these things are going through your mind. They've gone through my mind. Um, but be that safe place, validate them. Um, don't question whether or not the abuse took place. Um, I love you and I, I will listen and they may say that's that's all I want to say right now um, is there anything you need um, that, that can help a lot but I hear you, I believe you um, and not oh my goodness, that's, no, 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 that that would never happen, or I can't believe that. You know, y'all have been married for years, you look so happy. Again, these are things you're thinking, just don't say them out loud because it will shut them down. They're looking for a safe place. Or a safe avenue. And even me, I'd I refer. Um, I was telling Jamie, you know, I'm here, I'll listen, I believe you. Um do you want me to listen to your safety plan? Um, what do you need? And okay, and this is where you need to go to get help because I'm I'm not an expert, um, but I'm a friend and I will listen. Um, and there are agencies and there are professionals that can help. Uh, there are barriers to get to those, there are barriers to leaving, uh, financial barriers, um, shame. Um, you know, if, if you're a religious person, you know, and, and you don't believe in divorce yourself and, you know, you wonder how are you going to navigate this, um, you're going to be, in your mind, you're going to be labeled um a divorced person, and maybe that's meaningful to you and, and would make you feel bad. And so, you know, there's all of these things that keep us where we are. Um, compassion, what you're talking about, for uh, someone who maybe we know was abused as a child, and um, but at some point can't, um, you, you just can't stay. And then realize there's some women that stay as long as the abuse stays Uh, what they feel is controlled. They feel like they manage their abuse and they weigh the factors, staying is safer. And until some type of crisis happens, even with the person who's being abused, um, like their child is harmed or something just that they will not tolerate for whatever reason. And there's no right or wrong on what someone will or will not tolerate, and I judge no one, but there will come a time when they will need to leave, and they may have every safety plan set and be ready to go, and then they may find out that they have to leave with no warning. So, you know, if you have opened up that conversation and have been that person's safe place, if they're in an emergency situation, you you could get a text or a call and and be ready to help them.
4: So here's a question that I have. It, I think a lot of people would uh, almost be fearful to help someone in crisis feeling like the violence may be visited on them. What, is that the case that a person surely possibly could be violent with someone who's doing rescue? Or is it more often than not that that, that an offender... It may talk big outside of the home, but that's pretty much where, how dangerous is it to help someone?
3: Again, I think every situation is going to be different, and so I hate to generalize, but I it, it, is, it can be very dangerous, and that's going back to the police officers. You know, when, when I used to go out and talk with them, um, they would say that. They would, you know, it is one of the most dangerous situations that officers go into, believe it or not, is domestic violence calls. And so it can be, and even at our practice, we um, we have certain things in place to make sure that if we're seeing Someone that is in an abusive situation or that has left an abusive situation that they feel comfortable. We have door codes on our on our um, practice that we give only our clients, so no one else can come in, and we switch them out and things like that. But we're certainly not a, a secured um, agency like domestic violence right. sh- shelters and, and things are. So sometimes that's the referral that needs to be made. And if you are someone that's involved, typically the abuser is going to first and foremost go after. The, the, the spouse yeah, or the victim. The um, but like Stacey mentioned, if they feel like they're getting away and, and I have no control and they will up the ante to whatever point that may be. And if they feel like there is a person, you know, mom or whoever, a friend is is getting in their way, then it, it, it absolutely could be dangerous in my experience for for them. So sometimes the best way to help may be to get them to a place like Call to Peace or Interact or one of these shelters that are set up because they are trained to deal with that and and have the safety measures in place.
1: I think you're already hinting at it, um, putting out some of those resources. And um, I I guess just for my own sake, too, I want to make clear that for, for everyone listening in that, Stacey, you're not talking about Bob from years ago, because I think Bob has been Wonderful, right? For you and for the church as well. This is a a previous relationship. So
2: I was married to my first husband for 10 years and we had two children. And um, I remember when he said, uh, no one will want you. You know, you've got two children. You know, you've quit your job to be at home and you know, you're just going to nothing until until you come back, you know, you're never going to have anyone love you. And I remember thinking, that that's gonna be okay you know because what i live at home is not love and i knew that and god loves me and that was enough and um i i did meet my second husband and um we had been married for 18 years almost 19 and uh, he is a very loving person and a very kind person and i will tell you that every day I get up and I say thank you that I am not afraid in my own home and that I may disagree with my husband or I can have a bad day and maybe be, uh, make a smart comment or, uh, that was, that was volatile in my previous, uh, home. And, um, you know, it, you, it's just one of those things that until you um, experience it, um, it, you know, my story's not any worse than anybody else's. V- violence in any manner, whether it's verbal, physical, uh, however uh, someone chooses to control you, Um, is is devastating to a person. And um, I just remember, you know, thankfully um, I had a strong faith and um, I put down, we'd been in the Psalms this summer, so I went to a Psalms and I went to Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. And I remember many, many times crouched down and praying, God, you are my refuge and my strength. I will not fear. And God was with me. He did not forsake me. And if I never met my second husband, I was going to be okay on my own. And my children and I were going to survive. And we had decided, and then God blessed us. And we're very thankful for that. Um, I'm not saying that you can't reconcile with a spouse who um, has been abusive. Um, Certainly, Jamie would have much more um, expertise on that. Um, But I tried for 10 years uh, to save my marriage. And I Uh, was sort of um, uplifted as a survivor. And I say very often, if you help us a victim, you help us all. And when you were saying, uh, when we had our pre-meeting, that um, domestic violence is not a marriage problem, and I thought, you're right, it's not, it's a sin problem. And um, I don't have to stay in that um, type of a marriage. And, That was very comforting, and I just think that for victims and survivors, here I am 21 years later, and that um, statement was extremely meaningful to me, and I think that... um, it will remove some of the barriers for victims to be able to come to their church family and get the help that they need. And a lot of times, you know, in the past we were told, preserve your marriage, preserve your marriage, preserve your marriage. And I, you know, would think you have no idea what goes on in my house. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can't tell, you know, you just can't tell. So, um, you know, when you're told that that the authority over heaven and earth says that you must stay in this and you're a believer, you know, that can be um, a barrier to leaving. So uh, thank you to Grace and for, on behalf of all victims and survivors. That That's what we need. We need loving uh, people within the body of Christ to help us.
1: Well, in a moment, I want to return to the practical steps and resources that someone may be able to use in order to seek safety or refer out to uh, a safe place and uh, resources. But I want to revisit that uh, that very relationship that you were just speaking of about wrestling with what God's Word says and God's heart for um, people within marriage and victims of spousal abuse, violence within the home. Um, I want to I think finally here from Pastor Brad, but I want to work my way down the line and, and ask Jamie and then Stacy, what have you seen or recommended or how is it that you have wrestled with um, Christians seeking to do what's right in God's eyes mm-hmm. in a situation like this? And then finally for Pastor Brad, how does Grace Community Church understand mm-hmm. God to be speaking to this situation?
3: Yeah, I think that's very difficult. It was difficult as a counselor who's a Christian um, when when people would come in and say, you know, I'm wrestling with leaving my spouse. Um, and and where in the Bible does it give me permission to do this? And I'm like, we can look at it together. It's not in black and white, right? And so, um, and not wanting to lead them in the wrong way, certainly, um, but also like you said, Pastor Brad, um, just feeling like I just can't understand how it would be allowed under this condition and not this, because everywhere else in the Bible, this is not how love is defined. So that was sort of what I would go back on is, and I think you mentioned that, Stacy, in one of our pre-meetings, and that's what I would fall back on too. Like it, it may not say verbatim that if there's abuse, you can leave, um, but it does say, well, this is what love is. and um, And this is not what that would look like to me. So I think helping people to walk through that, certainly as a therapist, I'm not, going to make a decision for them or tell them what they should do or shouldn't do, but um, trying to, to lead them through there. But I can tell you that is a, a very real barrier and challenge for people that are believers to try, um, that are in situations that are abusive and
2: not healthy. Um, I, I would just say as a believer um, in, in a very conservative church, um, I did not expect to remarry. Um, I, I was basically resigned to be alone for the rest of my life, and that was okay with me. And um, I did struggle with it when when I met um, my husband, uh, Bobby. And, you know, I prayed about it. Um, I did look to Scripture, and, and that's what I looked for is— um, is what does God say love is? And I felt like that my my husband had not fulfilled his obligation to me um, in in my previous marriage, and uh, he had been unfaithful. And of course, in the church, that's all you need. And you know, but I w- I, I felt more violated by the violence and by the um, demeaning uh, way that I was treated, like I had no value. Um, and so I was able to remarry because my first husband had been unfaithful. And I, you know, but for me, I, that wasn't the reason that I got divorced. Um, so, I, you know, that that is a struggle. I think that's a very individual decision that honestly I'm going to go ahead and pass on to the pastor because that is honestly the person that you would be talking with uh, with premarital counseling and things if you were going to remarry. And I am definitely not a... Um, Authority on that.
4: Well, it's it, it, it. took me all these years to get to this place, and only with a <laughs> theological paper that Wayne Grudem did, who is not necessarily my favorite theologian, but his his reasoning on this is very sound. Um, that an abandonment of the covenant relationships that relationship that is an is, is extreme if a person commits adultery that's extreme I, I i think sometimes when uh someone has been unfaithful in a marriage the other person starts to walk away many in the church will say oh no he, he's repentant she's repentant give them a chance and I'm, my response to that has been for years also we're more spiritual than jesus now okay good just wanted to know where we stand but Jesus allows, because that, that is a, 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 a breaking of trust that is really extremely <laughs> uh, difficult to, to, to win back. So, um, but I, I've always thought, my goodness, uh, a person is being physically abused. And when they would ask me, can I remarry? And I would say, oh, it kills me to say this, but I just don't know where scripture would allow it. But I surely, I personally, I can't tell you, you need to live alone for the rest of your life. Although I've heard what Stacy said many times, I would, living alone, no problem. It's way better than what I had. But um, this phrase, in such cases, It would have to be extreme, and I think that's where grace is so blessed in that we have elders who are thoughtful and godly and caring and know what it's like to struggle with their own issues and probably in their own marriages too. But abuse is a whole different animal, and that I see in 1 Corinthians 7, that being um, not, oh, finally, we've got something but a very solid biblical support for removing yourself in a situation like that, and I can't. Also, what Stacy has said about being safe at the right time, everything is so crucial, and what Jamie said about going to a place that is prepared for that is crucial as well. So, if I get started, I don't. Even though I want, you know.
1: Well, I hope that is a relief to to many that we do not understand Scripture to say, you must go back into the position of being abused. Um, That's not um, what I understand God to be giving for anyone. Uh, We mentioned 1 Corinthians 13 already, that what love is, Christ exemplified that love. And what we're talking about is a violation of the covenant of marriage that... uh, Uh, It it denies, in fact, that that very love. Um, So now that someone who may be in in an abusive situation knows that uh, they have a a community of faith that is open and looking out for them, what are those practical steps? What are those resources that uh, they or anyone in the church may be able to reach out to or refer to? In a, in a very practical way to seek that safety. I'll
3: start and um, let you jump in there, Stacey, because you've already mentioned some that were really good, but there's um, the National uh, Domestic Violence Hotline number that is always available 24-7, so that would be one thing that you could definitely call. Um, Interact here in uh, Wake County is another one, um, they have a lot of information on their website, and. And, and like I said, they're prepared for the safety aspects of it, so they can help you kind of look through your options. Even on their website, they have a button where if you're on there and your abuser is looking over your shoulder, you can click exit real quick and it'll pop up something different. So they've really – have they they're prepared in that sense and thought through um, – Call to Peace is another one we were speaking of um, that I'm familiar with in Wake Forest, Um, and they are Christian-based. Interact isn't, but it's still a good good resource. Um, Those are the ones that are coming to mind now. Um, I think we're going to put together some more um, links or something, but...
2: So, I mostly refer uh, to Interactive Wake if someone's in Wake County. Um, It's a a tremendously effective model of domestic violence um, response and support we have um, at Interact. Raleigh uh, PD DV division is on site and legal aid is on site and there are many services that are needed and so rather than someone having to go all over Raleigh for many different appointments and things like that um, you can find all of it under one roof. So that's a great resource in Wake County. Um, not a Christian organization, but certainly prepared um, to um, handle most really any situation that you might be in. Um, there are those who will volunteer to go sit in court with you, will help you fill out your protective order. Um, just many things, make a safety plan. Some of these things that you just, you you have to do it. Um, you have to be careful, you have to have a plan, and you have, to, uh, you have to sometimes get out quickly. And then the one in Harnett County that I refer to is Safe of Harnett, um, it doesn't have quite as many resources on site, but they can certainly help with the safety plan, protective order, and um, get you the resources that you need in Harnett County. And then I've most recently been introduced to Call to Peace. I haven't visited them yet, but they are a Christian um, organization like Jamie mentioned. And so for some who are struggling with religious abuse as a factor um, or complete, um, that can be a good resource, uh, just what I've seen on their on their website uh, for people who are, are faith-based and are struggling with that aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I would say that um, even as a survivor, I just want to stress, you know, I am not an expert. Um, I am not uh, qualified to execute a safety plan. Um, I am a great listening ear. Um, I very rarely tell my own story. I want to I, I, I want them to be able to tell theirs. That's the important story is their story. Validate them, you know... um And that sort of thing, but um, I I refer every single person to um, a qualified organization, and then I encourage people to get Christian counseling. I've done that over the years, um, here and there, even a few years ago as things arise. Um, It's a lifelong process to uh, be a survivor of any type of trauma, and um, it's just sometimes um, you need guidance, and you need help, and you need uh, grounding, and just some different things that Christian counseling can offer, and so um, I will often encourage people to explore that when it's safe. Uh, The barrier to that is people don't want to be labeled crazy. They already feel crazy, but I got to tell you, that's one of the things that helped me the most, even many years out, was to be able to sit down with a Christian counselor and be able to Uh, sort of deal with some of the issues that are long-term that are no one else's responsibility. It's not my children's, it's not my husband now responsibility to deal with the trauma that I'm, you know, maybe processing from many years ago. So Christian counseling is something that um, I recommend just as someone who's benefited from it.
1: And I'll I'll add that uh, Grace Church actually has missionaries, local missionaries, whose Christian organization is Christian counseling that, that we support that we can also uh, refer to. Brad, did you have any uh, others to add?
4: Well, uh, we've got several resources in our church. Paul Jasinski was a law enforcement officer. I was looking at him when um, one, of, one of you were talking about that's the most, the domestic violence. I, I'm aware of this, that same risk. When I walk into a home where there's stuff going on, it's it, it's dangerous. Um, and then also Charlotte Arthur. We were talking about this a year and a half ago, I think, Charlotte was a child resource, uh, child advocate uh, in for children of abuse or in, in, in homes that are, have been abused. And I was telling her about what I had just learned from someone talking to me about the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is consistently one of the top selling books in the country how that almost all victims of abuse develop autoimmune issues. That's how serious what we're talking about. Just because somebody has an autoimmune doesn't mean they're living with an abusive spouse. But if you are living with an abusive spouse, that is going to be uh, likely. So I think the biggest thing, what somebody mentioned the other day, pre-marriage counseling, oh my goodness, helping People know what to look for, what the signs, because almost everybody that comes out of a situation like that looks back in the dating stage and says, you know, I should have seen this, this, and this. But again, Christians need to be very careful how we counsel them. Oh, just get together and, you know, if you love each other, you're both working on your issues. But I think the great resource is Stacy saying, please come talk to me. Women especially need to talk to women. First. It's, and, and it can be very intimidating to, to go to an elder board of seven men. We would always encourage a woman if she feels, if she needs to speak with us, feel comfortable, please bring another woman into that meeting. But just the resource of having listeners, and I'm sure I'm volunteering, Charlotte, to. Uh, step up in that. She's, oh, she's upset with me, but no, she's not really. She's going to abuse me after this. <laughs> Just kidding. But I'm sure that there are many people who would love to, to help. And I've sent some resources on in speaking with women who found certain books helpful, Christian books helpful, especially in the recovery stage. So some of those may make the... Um,
1: I think in a moment here we'll we'll actually put up um, a list of reading resources or websites as well that uh, people can go to, but I do want to let you know that all these slides and list of resources will be made available. Uh, They'll be put up on the the website, so wherever you can go to uh, download and listen to this, you can also get get that information in front of you. Uh, Before we put up those final resources, um, I'm going to ask David, do we have any Slido questions that, uh, to address the panel? No, quiet crowd tonight. Okay. Uh, any other departing words about domestic abuse, how um, those in abuse relationships can seek safety, or how those who are not in a domestic abuse uh, situation can be available, any parting words for us tonight? I
3: think I'll just second what, what Stacy has been saying, is just if you are privy enough um, to to know of someone, if they've confided in you and you know that something is going on, just to continue to be that listening ear and don't put your own judgment on it. It's always easy to say, "Well, if I were in that situation, you know, I would have been gone yesterday, right?" But you just don't know mm-hmm. in, until you know. And um, so, just giving that grace, giving them, um, like Stacy mentioned, they know what's best. They're they're stronger than they think they are. And um, and staying, and you said this really well, Stacy, the other day. Staying is often takes a lot more. It does take a lot more strength than leaving, even though leaving is very. Uh, very dangerous and, and, and challenging um, but each person's situation is going to be different and so they will know and so I would just encourage not pushing that as the first resort and I think sometimes even as um, therapists that I've, I've um, worked with or even myself especially in the beginning it's very quickly to you want to help so bad that your initial hunch is well let me help you get out of this like what do I need to do where do we need to take you um, and that's just not always the, the best first step um stacy mentioned safety planning that's always a good thing we always do that with people um we used to say in florida we would have them pack a hurricane bag that could probably apply to north carolina as well just to have m- important documents especially if you have kids just somewhere so if it does become where you have to leave quickly um so that might be something you could recommend but um, but just really being available and and listening and and waiting for their timing i think is is key
2: And the only thing that I would add is if someone does confide in you and they're not ready to leave yet, um, don't force them to by telling someone else or helping too much. Um, One thing that is important to understand about people who um, are surviving domestic violence is, is they've not had any control over their lives. They've been controlled by an individual um, in, in very um, demeaning ways and allow them the dignity to make their own decisions. They're living there. They know what is the safest and they actually may not want to leave for any number of reasons. And all of those are valid. Um, It, You know, like Jamie said, you might have left yesterday or the first time somebody hit you, and maybe you wouldn't have. You just, honestly, you don't know until you're there. And um, so, again, just verbalizing those kind of things, even if you're horrified by what you hear, um, we we understand that. But that can sometimes, uh, you won't pass the test if that makes any sense from that slide that we showed. But you don't want to force somebody to do something and they're not ready. Just remember that statistic 75% greater chance of being uh, severely harmed or killed during the time that they leave. So you may help someone and they may be ready to leave and you have the U-Haul ready to go and they call you either that morning or the night before and say, no, no, I'm not doing it. And you know what? You just have to be ready next time. And if it comes to the point where, you know, um, you're not willing to help anymore, um, refer them to someone who can, because that's understandable too. Um, and it takes, um, on average, just statistically, um, seven, uh, times to make it stick is what we say. So, you know, one person may leave the first time and never go back and someone else might like, may leave 15 times and go back and forth, back and forth. But the average is seven. Uh, mine was two, uh, but everybody's is different and their story is, is just that, their story. So you can't force someone to do it if you, if, um, if you think it's like ripping a Band-Aid off and, okay, the U-Haul's here, we're going to do this, uh, they could be harmed uh, for sure. And I would just say um, it is a real concern. Um, if you are concerned that your family may be hurt um, in, in helping someone, that's valid too. And uh, certainly um, you could refer them. To um, interact or safe or somewhere uh, where they're prepared, or you know, if they need to go get some things, they can call an officer who will go with them. I mean, there's any number of ways that these things can be handled, uh, where you don't have to put yourself in harm's way.
4: Yeah, the only thing I would like to add is just what I said this morning that I I promised to say tonight. The church cannot treat abuse problems, continue to treat abuse problems as if they're marriage problems. They're not. They're they're different. And I do, in the number of instances I've counseled people in these circumstances affirm every single thing that's been said tonight. You can't know until you know. And I think especially we need to be very careful how we speak with women who have children who were in harm's way but still didn't leave. You don't know until you're in that situation. And you can't ever, never say something like, how could you leave your children in danger like that? You, you don't know. It, the psychological damage is so great um, that you make decisions that you regret later, and we need to be extending grace. And I wish I had something to offer, like for guys who are in this situation, men will come for counseling, but in a circumstance like this, I wasn't aware of what I was watching. It wasn't going to change. It was just to extend it a little bit longer, you know. And uh, so there we go. I got nothing else.
1: First time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we do have that list of just uh, excuse me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one more thing. <laughs> uh, if any of you uh, recommended any of these resources, if you would just uh, say a word about why it may be helpful or important to, to read any of these.
4: I think those may be all uh, recommendations that I made based on women who have read these books, you know, and have found them helpful. Uh, maybe the first one, not as much angry men and women who love them. Uh, it sounds like a really great title, but I don't. That that one was not recommended as highly as the others. But um, just to help somebody process what's going on, um, and then process what happened after they've made that final decision to leave after many start and stops. So I've seen it all, and I didn't know how to process it earlier until it got really close. Now I get it. And I'm so sad that it's been this long in coming from to me to understand. I think we've made the right decisions and the right moves as an elder board all the way. I I really I'm just so impressed with the men on our elder board who Handle these things very lovingly, carefully, and do the right thing, even when it's difficult or dangerous. But, um, and I'm not looking, I'm not looking for (laughs) behind every bush expecting to find an abuser. That's not the case. But when it's evident, all the things that have been stated are helpful. Just helping people make that decision to get out.
1: Yeah, I think everything spoken here has been quite helpful, and I hope it has been useful to provide hope and practical guidance for uh, anyone who may be in or observing uh, domestic violence. Uh, I, I will say, sorry to poke fun at your expense, Brad. You are welcome quite, at r- r- any quite time okay. to I just continue. didn't want
4: you to be the first one to make it happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's why I had to come again.
1: Uh, so we did uh, put up just a few takeaways if you needed something and you, you weren't writing it down. Hopefully uh, these bullet points will help you just to identify practically that uh, you do have hope. Christ is um, your great hope and he works through his church, his people. Let us be a resource for you if you are experiencing this or if you recognize that maybe you are uh, a perpetrator in some way of of abuse, let the church help you so that we're the vehicle of Christ helping you. Um, I will say I appreciate and thank each one of you, Jamie, Stacy, and Pastor Brad, for your contributions today and um, being willing to carry this forward. And it it is, in some respects, um, sad that the American church has uh, taken so long to identify and, and really step up to what we have needed to do for many, many years, generations. And um, we, we don't have it all together even now. Nah. But uh, the Lord is continuing to be gracious to work in us and through us. And with that, I think we will close in, in praise and prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this evening. For your guiding us um, as an assembly of, of the redeemed, uh, that you have graced um, tremendously. We can uh, number uh, each year that Grace Community Church has been in existence. Uh, just count the blessings of your protection and guidance, uh, the power of your spirit working in and among us. I pray that that would continue Um, from this conversation outward, that those uh, who are experiencing domestic abuse would find hope and safety, and that you would use your people to do it. May we be willing and available vessels for your use. We praise you for providing all this for our good, and ultimately for your glory. In His Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: A reminder, if you have any questions, please send those to Grace Matters at graceccnc.org. And hopefully we'll get around to following up with our panelists for some supplemental conversations around these issues of domestic abuse and all its various forms. A link to all of the things mentioned, in particular some of the resources, will be posted on the podcast page on the Grace website. If you're listening elsewhere, you might not be able to find this link. So go to graceccnc.org and find the Grace Matters podcast page in order to follow up with a PDF that has all the information referenced tonight. You've been listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth.